Kia ora. welcome to episode 76 of the SWNZ podcast, the podcast for New Zealand Star Wars fans. My name is Matt. And my name is Christy. It was another interesting week for news from a galaxy far, far away, and to be honest, we've got a little bit of catching up to do, so let's jump in and talk Star Wars. First up in today's roundup, I just want to remind everybody about the upcoming Music of John Williams and Concert event, an orchestral concert by Orchestra Auckland, which will be taking place at the Auckland Town Hall on October the 1st this year, featuring the music of John Williams. And we'll be hearing music from Star Wars, Harry Potter, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Schindler's List, Superman, Jurassic Park, E.T., The Extraterrestrial, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Tickets are available for this concert at ticketmaster.co.nz. We will have links down below. We're only a matter of days away from the first drop of episodes from the Andor streaming series, which will be kicking off this coming Wednesday with three episodes. That's on September the 21st in the evening New Zealand time. It will carry on through to episode 12, which should hit Disney Plus on November the 23rd. Season 2 of this will be filming later this year and will also be 12 episodes in length uh, for a total of 24 episodes of Andor. It's only going to be two seasons long. The first season takes place between five and four years before the Battle of Yavin, so it spans about a year starting five years before the Battle of Yavin, including some flashbacks, of course, to Yavin. Andor's younger years. Each bundle of three episodes of season two will span a year, ultimately leading directly into Rogue One. This information has been confirmed by Andor creator Tony Gilroy in the Empire magazine. So that's an interesting structure. A continuous timeline for season one and then a bit of a jumpy timeline, but leading directly into Rogue One. All the trailers and TV spots that we've seen so far have really made me want to watch Rogue One again. I'm not sure if it's going to be best to watch it before or after the uh, run of uh, episodes, to be honest, but uh, maybe even both. Yeah, we're getting a lot of trailers. They're really amping this one up. We got a nine-minute sneak peek on Disney Plus Day, which was fun. We weren't really expecting too much there. Um, and, of course, they're putting out lots of uh, clips and snippets on YouTube and social media, so they're really amping this one up. And to be honest, it is, it's working. I am so excited for this. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good length, uh, 12 episodes. One thing to note, though, um, what we've heard so far is that the episodes are – maybe a shade shorter than some of the Mandalorian ones. So it's good that we're getting three episodes to start with because that will really give us a lot of story to get in. Some of the episodes are sort of in the 35 to 40 minute zone, um, but we'll get at least an hour and a half on the first night. That will really, really get us well into the story and leave us wanting more, I am sure. As we've talked about in previous podcasts, we're expecting this series to have quite a different feel from some of the other ones. It has been filmed largely on location, not so much using the stagecraft technology uh, that features in The Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett. Creator and writer Tony Gilroy has explained why stagecraft was not used so much for the series. In the Empire magazine, he said, Yep, we're old school. We didn't use stagecraft at all. It's a choice that looks set to add even more grit and earthiness to a series all about capturing that texture, set at a time when the Star Wars galaxy is a particularly dark and dangerous place to be. Separately on a press tour, he did just clarify that statement by saying that nobody's against the volume per se. The volume is a fantastic for the things that it is designed for. However, Andor is just on a massively epic scale and people would be running off the set all the time. So yeah, I think that just speaks to the way this is probably going to have quite a bit of a different feel. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, that scale in some ways. 
Yes, yes. Uh, and I think it, because this one ties so closely in to Rogue One, they wanted to have a very similar feel. And of yeah, course, Rogue One point. was all set in physical locations, mm-hmm. physical sets and things like that. The Mandalorian was new, so you could, you could start from it scratch have and have its own feel. And it's a little bit more tightly centered on one character and his adventures. So, so the, the locations are all, the Mandalorian has sort of a quietness to him of, you know, he doesn't, he's not, he's not constantly speaking all the time certainly in the moments with Grogu he's not talking lots and lots so it has a sort of quietness which works for sort of a still sort of camera sort of style where you're sort of centered on a central character so like they said in Rogue One where you've got explosions and people running and stormtroopers and things like that it's it's too constrained to do that on such a small set because yes you can build huge sets indoors in a controlled environment but the volume is a very specific size they haven't really gone to the full scale that you can do within sort of sound stages and that. I'm sure that technology will expand to sort of completely sort of um, encompass a huge sort of standard sized sound stage, but at this point it's more small. So that makes perfect sense. And and I like his explanation that it wasn't a diss um, to the technology. It's just that it wasn't really the fit for his style. Yeah. So Tony Gilroy, as I say, he is the creator and writer of uh, the Andor series. He's been talking quite a bit, and there's other comments that he's made that give us a bit of information about what to expect from Andor. Tony Gilroy is also famous for working on the Bourne, the Jason Bourne films. He wrote the screenplays for the first four of that series, as well as directed the Bourne Legacy. And in an interview with the Total Film magazine, he discussed how the Bourne franchise inspired his work on this upcoming Star Wars show. He said, I've been trying to get people to make an acoustic action movie because action movies had gotten so bombastic in the 80s. They were just enormous. So when Bourne came along, we went way down. It was about making it real, keeping someone you really understand and really care about in a place that you understand the geography of. It's much more involving than a guy on a train with 15 machine guns and a helicopter coming down. That aesthetic... That idea does carry on over to Andor because we are on the ground with these people so everything we do has an intimacy and an acoustic nature to it within the grandeur of Star Wars. That description feels like it fits a lot with the sort of the initial uh, approach to filming Star Wars, you know, sort of trying to do things in a sort of a gritty reel, following characters, doing a lot of practical things with sets and special effects, so... I think it's a good fit because obviously Rogue One is the one that the franchise and the kind of timeline that fits the closest into the very original A New Hope Star Mm. Wars film. So I feel like because it links up almost, you know, within minutes with the end of Rogue One to A New Hope, I feel like it needs to match stylistically. So I feel like this is a really good approach. Yeah. And we've previously watched Rogue One and, and A New Hope back to back. And I've got a feeling we'll be doing that again in the very near future. So the Andor trailer came out on on Disney Plus Day, which was September the 8th, and there's quite a bit of other information about upcoming Star Wars shows as well. I'm sure you've all seen the Andor trailer now, uh, by now, as well as the previously released teaser. They also released the Season 3 Mandalorian trailer, which Season 3 of the Mandalorian is scheduled for a 2023 release, we now know. That was a bit of a recut of material that was previously shown at Celebration, but not revealed to the public, so we see a lot. We see... The Mandalorian, we see Grogu, we see Bo-Katan, lots of other Mandalorians. And we've also confirmed that Giancarlo Esposito will be returning as Moff Gideon. Uh, he made an appearance on stage at D23, even though he doesn't show up in the trailer per se. Yeah, I think showing him in a trailer would be too spoilery. I think he's such a good character, a good villain for the show. I, I didn't want to sort of just have him 
be captured and that's just sort of the last you see of him. I think that's not quite as a satisfactory ending. I, I hope that he, that the empire, you know, frees him from the Republic in some manner. He escapes or whatever and he is still, cause obviously he has big plans with Grogu. We still don't know completely what we're seeing. We do see the the scientist in the trailer. Mm, So I want to see where, you know, I want to see a little bit of that trailing sort of off. You know, we we didn't get a lot of it in season two, but we know that there was, you know, an intent there. The Empire had some plan for Grogu and his biological material, as it were, you know, blood or midichlorians or whatever it is that they're trying to do. And I want to see, I want to see Moff Gideon continue with that. This trailer implies that the season's going to focus on the Mandalorian story arc, but there is that underlying, what was the Empire doing with, with, with cloning and yeah, looking for, for blood from a force sensitive individual and so forth. So that is definitely going on in the background and needs to be resolved as part of the bigger picture. Because that's still a threat, you know, um, that, Grogu is a, a sort of a hunted individual. He is sought after and stuff like that. And I, I like that being a sort of a source of tension and it works well because obviously he needs a bodyguard of, of sorts with, with the Mandalorian. So very exciting trailer. A little bit of a disappointment that it's not going to be screening at the end of the year, but I'm sure we won't well, have I'll, too I'll, much to wait. No, no. Well, I'll talk about the whole release schedule very, very shortly. There's a number of other titles that were talked about on, on Disney Plus Day that we got a little bit more information about. Skeleton Crew, which we now know is just wrapping up its filming. It's coming to the end of its filming cycle. So it's actually moved to production quite fast. Now this was one of the this was one of the titles that's only been a little bit more recently announced along with Tales of the Jedi. It wasn't part of that original bundle of upcoming Star Wars material that we heard about from the marketing department um, a year or so back. But it seems to have been moved along quite well. It's starring Jude Law as the lead adult character and it's going to feature a number of younger characters, humans and humanoid children who are on a bit of an adventure through the galaxy trying to find their way home having been become lost somehow as a sort of a high level overview of that story interesting trivia about this series it's got about 136 million dollar budget apparently which per episode we don't have an exact episode count but we're expecting six to eight which makes it quite a high budget per episode compared to some other material that's going out these days and yeah, it's quite interesting that they put that much money into a series, but you'll see why in a second when I just mention a little bit of its backstory. John Watts, who is famous for his involvement with Spider-Man, directing a number of the Spider-Man films. John Favreau spoke to John Watts on the set of Spider-Man film about directing an episode of The Mandalorian, but Watts, one way or another, apparently had a fully formed idea for his own show. So the conversation between John Watts and John Favreau led directly to the uh, development of the Skeleton Crew series quite quite rapidly, which I think is kind of interesting. Jude Law has talked about Skeleton Crew uh, publicly. He said it was such an important part of growing up, the impact of that film and that world, talking about Star Wars obviously, the way it penetrated and exploded my imagination. There are one or two more times every day when where I'm walking on set and it hits me like a child. I get awestruck by certain characters that are around me and that I can't say much more. It's kind of interesting that that this one seems to have been fast-tracked so quickly. When we think back to that original lineup, there were ones like Lando and the droid series and things like that that have kind of petered out. Even Rogue Squadron, these sort of projects that were announced with big fanfare, and then they've just kind of 
fizzled out and we don't really know where they're going to go. And and then other times they keep things completely secret and then they're like, huzzah, this thing's done. You're going to be seeing it soon. And I'm, it's always kind of like curious why mm. Lucasfilm slash Disney takes this, on, yeah. takes this sort of approach that they don't keep everything secret until it's actually filmed and actually done so that they don't sort of bait and switch fans. Yeah. It's kind of, it's well, almost tiring a little bit well, keeping little track bit. of what's coming up, what's uh, cancelled, what's on hold, what, what are we looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, fans will be familiar, familiar with Skeleton Crew by now, but the general no. person on the street, the general general Disney Plus subscriber will have no idea what you're talking about if you talk no. about Skeleton Crew. Because so, it doesn't necessarily sound Star Wars-y in no. its title either. So you're missing an opportunity there. And speaking of that sort of um, you know messy release schedule, Bad Batch 2 finally has a confirmed release date. It was actually expected by now, a few months back, in fact, yes. with its original release date. It got bumped a few times. We now know that Bad Batch Season 2 will be, will be coming out on January the 4th, 2023. 16 episodes with a two-episode premiere. That gives us six weeks between Andor's last episode and the first episode of Bad Batch Season 2 that we'll just uh, have to fill with other material. But there is other material to fill that with. I'm looking forward to Bad Batch Season 2. We've had the trailer for a little while. Um, There's a few snippets in that trailer that give us a feel where it's going. One of the Clone Force 99, I think, says something along the lines. I can't remember if it's Hunter or one of the others. says that there are others out there that need our help. That kind of implies that they are out there looking for other clones that you know, are lost without a place in, in the galaxy and uh, with the evolution of the Empire into the Stormtrooper era and so forth. And, yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting arc to delve into. I'm sure they're never going to give us an explanation as to why it was delayed so many months from the sort of initial penciled-in uh, release schedule. I don't know whether they are sort of tweaking things to fit in with I, something else, I whether they're going to have it like crossover with something else. We're going to see some sort of crossover event and they're like, actually, we don't want to spoil that. Let's leave that. Or whether they decided to like add on some episodes or something like that, or they wanted to change something in the production line. They're like, oh, actually, we're going to do this. And then they sort of had to scrap some ideas and keep working on yeah. it and stuff like that. But either way, we've I finally got a date. Very excited. Yeah. I'm really enjoying The Bad Batch. It's kind of been one of those ones where I wasn't like wasn't sure how much we needed to see more stories from the perspective of clone troopers. We get a lot of that in the Clone Wars. And so I wasn't really sure how interested I would be in this. I wasn't sure if it was going to end up being a bit like Resistance. They were going to sort of stretch it out to one or two seasons and then it would just sort of fizzle out. But I'm really enjoying Bad Batch and I'm just eagerly waiting the next episodes. Some some good products. There's some good merchandising associated with it. There's something about a team of clones that just lends itself to, to product marketing, to figures Funko Pop vinyl figures, you know, um, Black Series figures and so forth. You know, we've had some cool figures from Obi-Wan, but they just haven't, I don't know, they haven't really called out to me in quite the same way that, uh, the, the, you know, trying to get a full set of Clone Trooper Bad Batch figures did in the previous previous months. They obviously hit just the right sort of balance with sort of new characters and sort of familiar ones with the likes of Echo and things like that and the design of them the personality traits this and just the the detail they're keeping up with the Clone Wars style but sort of amping it up a little bit you know like Clone Wars season seven and the Bad Batch they've like they're getting a little bit better with the animation style, possibly because they've got a Disney budget behind it and trying to push stuff out for Disney Plus. They give them a bigger budget so they can do the detail. But it's it's just really reading quite well. It's it's quite a I mean, people have always talked about the the animation style and Clone Wars sort of being quite elevated. 
And I think it was such a shame that they decided to go with a sort of simplified version of animation for Resistance, and even to a certain respect in Rebels. I know people sort of now hold up Clone Wars as kind of like the, the pinnacle of the style and detail of Star Wars animation, and I think hopefully that Disney and Lucasfilm have seen that if you're going to do animation, it's got to come up to that level. And hopefully with the likes of Disney plus really pushing new content that any further star Wars animated shows will fit. That doesn't necessarily need to be the same style, but that sort of same detail level, the the animation style and resistance really did give a children's vibe. And I think a lot of people just didn't take it quite as seriously. And I think it just kind of fizzled out on the fact that just no one really bought into it. Yeah, there's it. definitely a balance you need to hit, particularly with representing aliens and, and clones and so forth. Clone Wars has set a benchmark and it's not... It's not by accident. It did evolve over time a little bit to the point where people really could take it seriously. And uh, I think that's a signal moving forward that they need to take on board. And I think they are, because let's talk about uh, the other animated series that's coming out, Tales of the Jedi, which premieres on October the 26th. So not actually that far away. This is going to be six short episodes all dumped at in one hit. The six episodes involves two stories, spanning three episodes each. But sort of have a bit of a parallel feel to them. Apparently, the tagline for this series is two stories of fate, one destiny." So one cluster of the episodes features the story of Dooku and his Padawan, a young Qui-Gon Jinn, and involves Mace Windu as well. And the other cluster of stories features uh, the story of Ahsoka and Anakin Skywalker and their their interaction as master and Padawan. Yeah, well, obviously in the tagline talking about one destiny, that Dooku and Ahsoka are one of the very few Jedi that have ever left the Jedi Order. We get a glimpse of this in episode two when Obi-Wan is looking at the busts at the sort of the Jedi archives and Jocasta Nu sort of comes to, to help him with his quest to find Kamino. But the expanded universe of the time kind of described the fact that these are busts of Jedi that have left the order. And there's sort of about 20, depending on, you know, sort of the count. And so that's, that's a pretty small number of Jedi that have ever left. Not necessarily turn to the dark side, as we know does eventually happen with Dooku. Uh, we don't necessarily know whether he like with the new storylines, we don't know whether that's sort of decided that he went dark side and left the Jedi because he turned to the dark side or whether he becomes disillusioned with the Jedi in the way that Ahsoka did. Ahsoka doesn't fall to the dark side and leave the Jedi. She leaves for a very specific reason. And so I think it's interesting that we're sort of pulling some threads there. I think the Dooku story is going to be even more interesting to delve into than the Ahsoka one because we know know, a fair amount about about her story arcs. We're going to see a little bit more behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, that wasn't featured in, in the Clone Wars, but the Dooku story arc, I think it's really, really going to be fun to explore. And of course, um, notable is that uh, Qui-Gon Jinn will be voiced by Liam Neeson yeah. um, in, in the, that, that series of shorts. Like we've got some, obviously the novels around the episode two era and a little bit of episode three would have delved into Dooku and a little bit of the sort of the story around him and stuff like that. But we've got this kind of Disney reset. So we don't know if they'll yep. decide to play around with that and create what they want no, no, to be the sort of new version of canon, Dooku. Setting the canon in stone and also just making it deliverable to the people who aren't reading yes, um, novels yeah. and other material. So I think it'll be really interesting to see what they, how they play it. Um, I'm really looking forward to this. It's a shame they describe it as shorts. Um, I'm kind of 
I don't know whether that just means that it's not a series. Um, I'm kind of hoping these are like 20, 30 minute episodes, you know, sort of like Clone Wars-esque because the animation obviously matches very closely to Clone Wars. We've got Ahsoka looking very much like her because it's set in the Clone Wars era, Ahsoka's story. So she is exactly as we see her in those latter episodes of the original Clone Wars series. Are you surprised, disappointed if they're shorter than 10 minutes each? I'm hoping Mm. for at least an hour out of this this series and that would be fine. It may be a shade more, but, uh, you know, a minute of an hour be what I'd be hoping for here. And just looking forward beyond all of that, Production Weekly, the uh, trade publication, gives us a little bit of a hint that Mandalorian Season 4 will be filming from this point onward later in 2022, and Andor Season 2 is due to start production in November. So those things will be well underway by the end of the year. So just to recap, looking at some dates and uh, titles in terms of scheduling on Disney Plus, September the 21st, this coming Wednesday, Andor kicks off its 12 episode run. October the 26th, so not that far down the line, Tales of the Jedi, all six short episodes will be dumped in one hit. January the 4th, early next year, Bad Batch Season 2. Also early 2023, no firm date yet, we'll be seeing Season 3 of The Mandalorian. We've seen the trailer for that, so we know that that's pretty much ready to go. Autumn, New Zealand autumn of 2023. Don't forget, Visions Volume 2 will be coming out. That's something to look forward to if you're a fan of the first run of Visions material. Later in 2023, we're still hoping for Ahsoka. There's been a few casting announcements for that. That will be winter New Zealand time for Ahsoka and spring 2023. So later in 2023, Skeleton Crew should be hitting Disney+. Plus. That's what we sort of understand is going to be the release schedule for now. Interesting thing, Disney Plus has sort of released a bit of a release, has revealed a bit of a release schedule of all of its all of its titles over the next year or so going through to 2024. And Rogue Squadron is no longer showing up on this list. So Rogue Squadron is the movie about X-Wing fighter pilots that has previously had a date as early as December the 22nd, 2023 to be released. Obviously, it hasn't even started production yet. So we've been assuming that that's been bumped down the line. Now it doesn't show up on Disney Plus's release schedule at all. This has been confirmed by Variety.com. So it hasn't been cancelled per se, but it's certainly been pushed far down the pipeline. So I wouldn't be expecting to see Rogue Squadron if it goes ahead before 2025 at this point. Which is another example of sort of this constant switching around. They even had like a little bit of a... a teaser sort of snippet showing the director sort of you know getting on a flight suit and sort of walking up to yeah. an x-wing and things like that that uh, was fun that was exciting you know classic felt, felt x-wings real, felt yeah. yeah it felt like oh she's like on set there's a prop and blah 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 you know it gave the impression that things were moving but uh it's just yeah it's hard to it makes it hard as a fan to get excited about things if you don't know if they're actually going to come to fruition i feel like with these announcements where they're like, oh, we got, yeah, they got the, they announced the Game of Thrones writers were going to be working on a trilogy of movies. And then that got, you know, kicked to the curb. And, you know, Ryan Johnson was going to be doing a trilogy. Tyker, I oh. wish that they would just keep these things secret until they're like, oh, it's filming. So we're going well, to or, announce a title. Or at least you know? until they've locked in some sort of production timelines with these directors and yeah. showrunners. 
We know the Ryan Johnson trilogy is still on the cards, and Taika Waititi, of course, is actually one of the ones that's been talked about a little bit more. We just don't have a solid date. And we know, and I'm going to talk about Taika's, um, everything we know about Taika's very shortly, but uh, I'll get to that because it's not actually one that's been talked about in this recent Disney Plus Day D23 Expo sort of reveal. So we'll, I'll circle back around to that very, very shortly. But speaking of Disney Plus, you've got a couple of days left. If you're not a Disney Plus subscriber, you've got a couple of days left to get in on the Disney Plus Day $1.99 for the first month sign-up offer, which is available until September the 20th. So you can get your first month of Disney Plus if you're a returning or not a current subscriber and you're about to watch all of the currently available material, as well as a couple of pretty cool new behind-the-scenes releases that I'll just mention here. Obi-Wan Kenobi, A Jedi's Return, which was a Disney Plus Day premiere streaming uh, streamed on September the 8th. That was a behind-the-scenes look at the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, and I really enjoyed that. It was about an hour long, and it really looked at uh, Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen and even Liam Neeson and, and having a bit of conversation about returning to play the, play the characters that they previously embodied. I like the fact that Disney Plus has set a precedent with both the Marvel and Star Wars franchises where they put out, once it's all finished airing, they put out like a good hour-long sort of behind-the-scenes to really dive into it. The one thing that I had a quibble with this was the title. Releasing something called A Jedi's Return. It made it sound like a sequel. Like they were announcing because they were like, oh, it's going to be a Disney Plus Day premiere. I'm like, that sounds like Obi-Wan did well enough that you've like done a sequel or something like that. It doesn't necessarily sound like a behind-the-scenes. Their other one, they call it like Disney Gallery. Yep. You know, that's clearly you know not. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't like, follow that format. That name yeah, format, yeah, it was it was it felt like a bit of a uh, like trying to get people to get all excited, and then I was like, oh, it's behind the scenes, and I enjoy behind the scenes. I really do want like as much behind the scenes content as possible. So I was like, oh, that. I saw that title and, you know, your heart jumps and then you're like, oh, it's behind the scenes. But I love behind the scenes. Yeah, so it was so fun. But was, yeah, I wish good. they'd named it something else. Definitely but yes, yeah, definitely it. worth checking out. It's fun to, fun to see. Um, and they sort of really, yeah, go into the characters, the actors on set and stuff like that. Getting to see everything was really cool. Yeah. Also on Disney Plus, a series that we've been really, really enjoying and I highly recommend is Light and Magic. This is six episodes taking a look behind the people in the history of Industrial Light and Magic, going back to the establishment of that crew for the making of Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, going through all the other original trilogy movies, and then looking at the other titles that they've been um, key in developing, working with Steven Spielberg and, so, and James Cameron in particular. Yeah, we've still got an episode to go, but we're extraordinarily impressed with this behind-the-scenes sort of documentary series. You know, we've we've watched our fair share of sort of Lucasfilm behind the scenes. Oh, and but read, read the books. And yeah, the, yeah, all sorts, you know, really dived into as much information. But the, I was really – they do include as much new material, well, footage that's never – that I've never seen. footage is cool, but I think the reason – interviews it, with exactly, everyone. That's what I was about it's to all say. new, fresh interviews with the real people, oh, all right. the people that were there on set, telling stories that I've never heard. Dennis Murin, Phil Tippett, and John Dystra from back in episode four – Ken Ralston, and moving on to John Knoll, Doug Chang, all those guys that are just absolute geniuses when it comes to developing new ways of storytelling and, and, and putting material on the screen. Hearing them all, all of those names um, speak and tell their stories, it really, oh, I don't know, it just makes me 
it's just it's just lightning in a bottle that they were in the right place at the right time. Uh, you know, and George Lucas is obviously instrumental in making that happen. Uh, it even looks like new interviews with George Lucas. Yeah. He is in it talking about the stuff, and it all looks filmed at the same time. This isn't archival stuff that they've just cobbled together and re-sort of gurgitated out to put more content under Disney+. Plus. It all looks really fresh, and it's going through – It you know, it's talking like we've gotten up to, like, the you know, the Terminator 2 era leading up to Jurassic Park, you know, which we're getting into stuff where it's going to, you know, uh, the final one's going to lead all the way up to the modern day. Um, but we're really, really enjoying just the fresh take and just the sort of the authentic stories – what it really felt like, you know, and it doesn't, doesn't shy away from showing some of the rifts, the, the difficulties that people had, you know, they were trying to do things that had never been done before. And obviously sometimes you're going to hit brick walls and that's going to just put in, a, you know, stress timelines. We know what it must be like making movies to deadlines and to budgets and things like that. So it doesn't shy away from showing some of the struggles that they had that, that anybody does when achieving something as, as monumental as what ILM yeah. did for the movie making industry it's, but it but it, it does it in a, in a you know these people are, are showing it from a, still a perspective, perspective yeah they the know what they had, know it was worth it even the people that had to move away unfortunately and some of them may have been treated less fairly than others some of them had to move away from Ireland went on to do other really fantastic and yeah and um key things in the film industry but and it I'm, doesn't I'm glad sort for of that. doesn't but discredit that, or try and sort of stick things in a corner and and just sort of gloss over it you know and just go this person was nasty so they left and that's all yeah. good you know it actually has these people telling these stories about why they left ILM, you know, but I mean, these are names that are familiar to all of us that have that are really looked behind the scenes for Stars. And I, I, yeah, it really just struck me how cool it was hearing them talk about how much they enjoyed it, how much they enjoyed the atmosphere on the whole, the environment, and the opportunity. Hearing little bits, I, I, I obviously know Phil Tippett and Dennis Murin and their, and their roles. I didn't actually realize that they were. So close in terms of actual personal friendship as well. Yeah, you cool. know, at each other's so, weddings and yeah, stuff like that. And, and and seeing the stories from people that aren't as well known, you know, some of the sculptors and some of the people that work in the computer graphics, you know, that don't, that aren't sort of, you know, everyone knows Dennis Murin, but they went, they go down the list and find some of the other people that were just as instrumental in their time, but perhaps haven't had just the, quite the sort of the accolades or the hype or the limelight. Yes. And the stories of like Doug Chiang and like how they came along, you know, as, as teenagers and people that were inspired by Star Wars and how they actually managed to get in the door. Yeah. Joe Johnson's the other big name in there that's really got a cool story as well. The way uh, George Lucas actually, when he wanted a bit of a break from just doing storyboards and that level of development, um, George Lucas um, sent him to film school to UCS. Paid for his fees and kept him on half salary so he could do it. And he's a successful director now, you know, and he's talking about, you know, that was such a once in a, once in a lifetime opportunity to, to do that and further his career, you know, because George Lucas is one of those people that just sort of knows you know, talent, he could see that there was potential there. And yeah, yeah. So I, it's it's a great documentary. If you haven't seen it, search Light and Magic on Disney+. Plus. So there's a lot if of you don't have Disney+, Plus, you can see it for $1.99. That's a yeah. pretty good value. A lot of styles there. Battlestar Galactica, Star Trek, if you're into those things as well. It's really yeah. cool seeing um, John Dykstra and... Um, uh, as he moved away from Star Wars and into Battlestar Galactica and the model making. Um, and I know it's not directly related, but I think I, a lot of Star Wars fans are sci-fi fans in general. I quite was quite intrigued by how much behind-the-scenes footage of Terminator 2 I hadn't seen before. 
how they kind of Robert, created Robert Patrick painted yeah. up with a grid on his body yeah, before we had the sort of modern day version of, of really, motion capture. Here. Really digging into how they did that leap from the water tentacle in abyss to creating, you know, the the, the liquid metal Terminator in T two. I it was fascinating, you know, not like this is going beyond Star Wars, but that was really cool if you enjoy behind the scenes of just movie making in general. Some really good stuff. Okay, so we talked about the release schedule for everything we know about over the coming 12, 18 months. Notable by its absence was Taika Waititi's Star Wars movie, which we now know won't be shooting at all this year. Taika's been recently heard to say when talking to the rap that he is still trying to figure out what the story is. Not this year. I mean, I'm going to be in New Zealand. He has been since August, he says, until the end of the year with our fag means death and time bandits. And during that time, I'll still be writing. I'm still trying to figure out what the story is. Interesting reference to our flag means death there. And I think this is quite relevant and pertinent to Kiwis. Taika's movie we're obviously quite excited about because it's really, really fun to hear about the involvement of other Kiwis in Star Wars material, particularly at this level. And it's interesting that Our Flag Means Death was originally produced overseas. I think, uh, I want to say, don't quote me on this, I want to say Burbank, California, but possibly even some, some in Sydney. Again, don't quote me on that. But I do know for certain that Our Flag Means Death has been moved in its production in almost an entirety to New Zealand. So there's a non-zero chance that there'll be some Star Wars material that might even take place in production at some level in New Zealand because Taika seems to be wanting to be doing war more work here um, rather than having to be forced to be locked down in other places around the planet uh, for, for productions. He still sees New Zealand very much as his home base. He also spoke to Rolling Stone about his Star Wars movie and he said, but I feel like for me, I'm never going to please the fans. You know, I don't want to mess with something that's so treasured. Also, you feel like you've got to do a lot of research and I don't have a lot of time. I mean, there's thousands of books I've been written, those volumes of books about Star Wars with all the characters. I just don't have time to go through all of them. So I can't say like, you know, confidently I'll be able to do something that's like very close to what everyone knows. I'm not promising them we're going to do anything like that. I'm just saying it'd be easier for me not to do that. So what is he saying there? I think he is basically saying, if you sum it up, that the that the film story he's going to be looking at won't be using existing characters. He doesn't want to get tripped up with past continuity. He wants to, obviously, things to fit in with the real world. And we know he can do that because he has done so with some of the other material that he's handled, uh, Marvel and Thor, for instance. But he wants to do something fresh that gives them a little bit of room just to tell a story without getting caught up too much in what has come before. He goes on to say on that topic, if you go too far away from everything that we've known, why is it even Star Wars? Why not just make a fresh science fiction movie? You know what? Whoever said that is actually probably right. Now that I think about it, like as you were saying, I was like, yeah, if you take away all of the Star Wars stuff, it's not Star Wars. So he retracted, he retracted a little bit there saying that uh, it's not going to be too far away from what we already know. But I think it still all boils down to wanting to fit into the Star Wars universe without being too much tied down. Uh, with the backstory of existing characters. He says, if it's not right, it's not right. If it's not ready, it's not ready. With Star Wars, I don't want to rush. It's something I wouldn't want to just leap into and not feel that it's unique. It's my film and it makes sense because that would be a disaster. I'm writing at the moment, so I'm going to do my best to come up with an idea that everyone loves. And those last few quotes came from the Rolling Stone magazine. I think it's good that he's actively mentioning Star Wars in his in his articles. He's not just trying to sort of like wave off any questions about it. I like that he's taking a lot of time. He knows, like obviously with with Marvel, there's like 
a lot of sort of a lot riding on the Marvel films. You know, it's a big franchise. It's one of Disney's big money makers. They don't want to stuff it up, but they still have to fit within certain boxes in that. There are comics that they're trying to generally follow certain storylines for. This feels like he's got a bit bigger of a sandbox to play in and wants to really make sure that it, that, that it's well, he may, right have, he may have felt a bit tied up dealing with characters that were already part of their MCU. Yes, yeah, that you can't, you don't quite have as much free reign. So, yeah, I think this would just be interesting. And we know he's creative, but yeah, I think like he's discovering that there is a fine balance between making something that's sort of fresh and unique, but also fits within the same world and, and the same, same lore and everything like that. But, I feel like, yeah, he's a little bit busy, but Disney is still very, very keen for him to do this project. So it will come and what will happen. Like the Indiana Jones, you know, they, they sort of talk about, we're working on a script, working on a script for a few years. And they're like, yes, we found the right script. And then they're filming it. And I'm also yeah. very looking forward to that film. But I feel like this is one that I'm very, I'm very fine to wait, especially if it means that some, we get a little bit of New Zealand on screen in Star Wars. Yeah. So that, that's, that's worth waiting for. That's just our speculation. And I wish for thinking at this point, but I think it's not yeah. unreasonable to, to even if to it's wish. just a few scenes, like in Rogue One, you know, where they filmed a little bit in London and then they went off to you know tropical location to film out there. I think you know, even it's just like one location that they filmed on, like you know, film in New Zealand. Yeah. That would be that would be really exciting for us as Kiwi fans. Speaking of Taika Waititi, of course, there's um, one other little bit of trivia just to throw into the conversation. We've heard via slash film a little bit of information that implies. He will be starring in upcoming episodes of Mandalorian Season 3, which we've just previously talked about coming out early next year. I don't know. I don't want to say that that's a spoiler because that would kind of imply that we know what the character is. We don't know what character he's going to play, no. but we have some some hopes based on what he's played before, and we'll see, we'll see where that potentially goes. But yeah, fun that he is remaining involved in Star Wars at that level. Okay, I have one more D23 Expo reveal that I just want to talk about. This is not relevant to absolutely everybody, but there is a title coming out called Star Wars Young Jedi Adventures. A couple of young actors, Jamal Avery Jr. and Emma Berman, have been cast in this series, which is being described as a preschool series. The description is that Kai Brightstar, a, young, a Jedi youngling who hopes to follow in the footsteps of the great Master Yoda and become a Jedi Knight, he teams up. He teams with pilot Nash Durango on adventures across the galaxy. So this is aimed at the much, much younger age group, much younger audience. Um, it will be premiering on in 2023 on Disney Junior and Disney+. Plus. I think it's interesting, even if you're not going to watch this yourself, we probably will just out of curiosity. I think Yoda's going to make a, you know, a bit of, have a bit of a role. He is featured in the promo material. But I think it is interesting because it, it speaks to what we were just having a conversation about earlier, about some confusion about where some of these series, animated series in particular, are supposed to head, who, who is the intended audience and the way even Clone Wars evolved over time and the way Rebels had some pretty had a slightly more simplistic artistic style, but some pretty serious story arcs in terms of continuity in the bigger picture. Uh, I think they need to be a little more clear about who the audience is. And there's been a bunch of other straight-to-YouTube type shorts coming from Disney and the Star Wars franchise. But this one here, I think it's got a clear audience and it's going to help with a bit more clarity about you know, what's aimed for the younger audience and what's intended to be consumed by you know fans Slightly more mature fans, still of all ages, but fans who are more interested in stories that are truly canon. All right, we'll move away from Star Wars titles, Star Wars stories, 
also from D23 Expo, which where they talked about things associated with the parks and other Disney franchises, came a little bit of interesting news, and it relates to the Disney Cruise Line. The first Disney cruise to sail from New Zealand and Auckland was announced. The Disney Wonder, which originally launched in 1999, that's the name of the boat, the name of the ship, will now set sail from four new home ports, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and Auckland. For a limited time, we've got a cruise from two to six nights between October 2023 through to February 2024. And the relevance to this podcast is that on these limited time sailings, the ship is the destination and our amazing Disney Cruise Line crew, the promo material says, can't wait to welcome guests on board as they are immersed in their favourite stories from Disney, Pixar, Marvel and Star Wars. So it's set to sail on October the 28th, 2023, initially departing from Sydney, but there are a number of sailings that depart directly from Auckland. Bookings are open to the general public uh, late in next week, from or a little after next week, September the 29th, 2022. And you can check that out from disneycruise.disney.go.com. Yes, the Disney Wonder is an older ship. And of course, at D23, they uh, announced that Disney is building more cruise ships. They recently launched the Disney Wish. That's their newest sort of headline uh, ship. And obviously, cruising is a big deal for Disney, the fact that they're building two more. So they're taking one of their older ships and checking out a new sort of locale so i've always wanted to go on a disney cruise they've done star wars you know elements some of them have star wars themed areas so you can actually go on youtube it's a a disney fantasy that has the star wars weekends yeah Um, so the theming is quite strong in some instances yeah but you can check out on youtube because this is an older ship there is lots of uh, videos of people sort of doing tours of the Disney Wonder and stuff like that. So you can see the themed areas and looking through the current listings for this cruise on the website, they list characters including Ray and Chewbacca. So they have, they have listed there, um, the characters. They've also listed the Marvel characters that you'll meet, um, and some of the sort of the themed nights. Um, this is one of the ships that does the pirate night, um, for kids that sort of, you know, are into sort of pirate themed things and stuff stuff like that. So this is very exciting for people that have always wanted to go. It doesn't have a full themed Star Wars area like some of the ships do, but there will be a Star Wars sort of themed event of some sort and Star Wars characters on board, which is very exciting. And based on the sort of the um, itinerary, it looks like it kind of travels in a loop between sort of Auckland, Sydney, um, Melbourne and Brisbane. Melbourne, Brisbane, and then sort of back around. So it'll just sort of travel in a loop. And for the initial sort of cheapest option, it looks like this will run between twelve to thirteen hundred per person. Uh, that's in New Zealand dollars for sort of a, a based on a double occupancy room because most cabins are designed for two people. They do go all the way up to cabins that can sleep seven if you're a particularly big family. Most of the mid-tier range ones have like pull-down beds so that you can sleep children in the same room so you can take along a whole family of, you know, two or three kids as well. So if you've got a Disney family that enjoys Star Wars, this is definitely something to look out. There is no indication at this point whether they will repeat this or Obviously, this is over the summer months for us here down under. This might just be a test to see how well they can do. Um, cruise ships are a fairly common thing in New Zealand 
but we just never had a Disney one here. So I'm very excited that they have finally brought one of their classic ships. The The ship has a passenger capacity of 2,700. That's, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's not the biggest ship in the Disney fleet, but that's a pretty reasonable ship. And so if you've always wondered about cruising, generally you have to fly somewhere to sort of jump on a Disney cruise. Most of the time that's Florida. So you're already paying a sort of, you know, a thousand or two to get there before you've even started their cruise. Disney cruises are all inclusive. So you do get excursion days um, at stops and things like that. They're all sort of included with the exception of there's generally one expensive restaurant that's like an adults only one that's kind of fine dining. That's not included in the price, but Disney cruises, you know, the standard, your, your food and things like that are all included in the price. So 1200 to have a Disney adventure with some Star Wars characters on a cruise. Yeah, so the Disney Wonder didn't historically have a lot of Star Wars theming, but they are advertising specifically that it now does and will do so for these Auckland departures. And I think that's what makes it makes it the most relevant to, to this conversation. And as you say, it's probably a bit of a test with them having a couple more ships under construction now. There's a chance that uh, the older ships, the smaller ships, will, will do this circuit on an ongoing basis. And uh, if they're adding some Star Wars characters now to this that they didn't previously have, then maybe that will expand. And I don't know, we do know that they have entire Star Wars themed weekends on this on the cruise ships. I don't know if we'll be quite as lucky as to get that happening down 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 this way at Australasia, but uh, we can we can hope and wish. Certainly, with the Disney parks, they are very clear about wanting to include classic Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars at all of the sort of levels of Disney. So we're seeing Marvel and Star Wars being added to most, if not all, of the In Star Wars parks manner, around yeah. the world. They know that these are money-making franchises. When it comes to box office take, Marvel and Star Wars will far outstrip classic Disney animated movies at the box office, even to a certain extent Pixar. The Pixar films generally do very well at the box office, but Marvel and Star Wars make a ton of money. So they want to make sure that that is t- closely tied to Disney. They keep that sort of excitement there and they know that people are going to spend money. There will be people that are not that interested in classic Disney, but they will go if there is a Marvel and or Star Wars component to the to the trip, you know, because that's possibly, you know, tends to hit a little bit more the adult market and adults are the one that are booking these cruises and spending the money. You know, kids really, really want to see Mickey Mouse, but grown-ups will pay, will pay the thousands of dollars to go on the cruises to meet, you know, the likes of Spider-Man and Thor and, and Chewbacca and stuff like that. So I'm very, very excited by this news. Obviously, here in Australasia, we don't get a main park in our vicinity. We've got to go to Asia or the US or Europe. And those are big, expensive trips for most people. Um, so very excited to get a little bit more authentic Disney closer to home. I mean, I, I even if I don't get the chance to go on a cruise, I'm going to go down to the port and take a photo of a Disney cruise ship in New Zealand because well, that, that is that, exciting. You just touched on, a, on quite a relevant point. And since the in the more recent era, around about the time that Disney took with the purchased Star Wars, the Star Wars franchise, they ha- they have actually been expanding in a way to make product merchandise experience everything a little bit more accessible globally. And this is really, really important for New Zealand because, you know, it's actually making, you know, I think we're actually, it's fair to say we're actually noticing Star Wars stuff becoming a little bit more available in New Zealand. We're getting stuff, you know, quite on time, even in advance of North America on occasion. 
Yeah, because of our proximity to to the Asian manufacturers, we also recently saw the launch of the Shop Disney Asia website yep. that that facilitates New Zealand. Interestingly, they have dropped the um the shipping costs. It used to be around 40 45 New Zealand to get shipping from the New Zealand Shop Disney site. They have now introduced a cheaper option that is around the $20 mark, and previously to get free shipping you had to spend 150. They have now lowered that to 130. So if if you and they have released new product, including new Star Wars stuff. There is stuff from the recent Obi Wan Kenobi series there on the Disney. Um, yeah, so shop Disney shop shopdisney.co.nz. It has products that's usually often often only available in the Disney parks. But uh, yeah, like you say, there was a really cool boxed set of of droids from the Obi Wan Kenobi series. It's available globally. It was neat to see a specific allocation available for New Zealand. And interestingly, slash oddly, perhaps erroneously, the pricing for New Zealand was far, far cheaper than uh, the North Americans and UK were able to get that product for. And, and uh, because it's a smaller market, actually, it's now sold out, but it's actually available for quite a bit longer than it was in the uh, US and UK. So yeah, it does speak to a little bit more of a global perspective from Disney, which bodes well for Star Wars fans, because obviously they do control Star Wars in terms of distribution and merchandising and sort of consumer experiences. I don't think we'll see a theme park in Australasia, but at least we are getting a sort of more of a feel for it closer to home. And I'm really fingers crossed that this might become a regular thing. You know, cruising tends to be a summertime activity. They can move the cruise ships around because, of course, down under, we are on a different schedule to the, to the Northern Hemisphere summer. So mm-hmm. when the ships don't cruise quite as much for winter, they can just mosey on down here and spend the summer raking in the dollars down here for us fans that don't really get the chance to go to the uh, big theme parks. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you're just a Star Wars fan couple for about two and a half thousand dollars, you can go spend several days on a Disney cruise and just, you know, have fun. You get to go to Australia, you know, <laughs> travel around. If you haven't, haven't hopped across the ditch in a while, you know, you can go check out Sydney and things like that. So, you know, find a local toy store there and pick up some Star Wars toys on your way. And of course, there is always cruise line specific merchandise disney's very keen to get people to go on the cruises for very specific things i'm not aware if there is star wars specific cruise line merch particularly on the disney wonder cruise ship Um, but if you're a disney fan you know that the cruise lines have their own exclusive cruise line merch you know stuff that you can only get if you go on the cruises so that's always fun from a general disney perspective a couple of pieces of gaming news that are interesting. The Star Wars Hunters mobile game, we've talked about this previously in the podcast from developers Zynga. The worldwide launch for this has been delayed to later this year. Almost amusing, I, I fear to say, because it's been available to Kiwis as a test market for quite some time and it's still available. So they've delayed uh, making this game available to the rest of the world. But if you're in New Zealand, you can actually download and uh, test this game. have been able to do so for, for quite a while. Also on the topic of delays, we were quite keen to hear about the Knights of the Old Republic remake. There was some bad news a little while back, not too far back, that uh, there was going to be um, significant delays or problems. The remake has been confirmed to be shifting studios to Saber Interactive. It's now been confirmed that the remake of Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic is in the hands of Saber Interactive after it faced development issues at Aspire Media. 
Last month it was revealed that Knights of the Old Republic was going to be postponed indefinitely, so now we know with this transition to another studio that it's going to be revitalized and yeah, we can look forward to hearing more details about when and where we might be seeing this down the line. It's such a iconic Star Wars video game. I'm really excited that this one is getting uh, sort of Still alive. properly remade for, you know, the next-gen consoles, you know, the full graphics and stuff like that. When you actually boot up the original, like, I have such fond memories of it, and then it's sort of jarring when you actually boot it up and you're like, oh, yes, that's right, this thing is, like, <laughs> nearly 20 years old. The graphics, the resolution, it's all a bit small. I I really want to see this thing. And I'm willing to wait just so long as it doesn't get shelved permanently i'm quite happy to wait well, to it, see this thing well, eventuate yeah. if it comes to fruition it'll be really fascinating to yeah. see how far they go with it and how, how what sort of comparison can be made between the old one and the new one we know that it's survived with a decent fan base because of the strong story mm. and it's be really interesting to see what it will look like with the overlay of sort of modern development modern uh, graphics and uh, yeah gameplay One last thing before we move on to talk about product announcements and store reports is a quick update about Armageddon Expo. Uh, Armageddon Expo Auckland, which is due to take place late in October, has been in a bit of a limbo as there's been legal battles, legal conversations taking place about who runs the showgrounds, the Auckland showgrounds in Green Lane. Been a little bit complicated, I won't get into the legal details, but you can read about that in in the mainstream media if you're interested. But the short story is that there's two potential managers of this of this showgrounds one of which would be turning it largely into a film studio and the other one that wants to keep it operating as a events center and that hasn't been locked in yet so we haven't been able to lock in the armageddon expo for october armageddon staff have been able to say that they will be getting us a solid update this coming week possibly tomorrow monday new zealand time fingers crossed that that will be the case if not it'll be a, a Interesting to have to face the reality of Armageddon not taking place in Auckland um, for these complicated reasons. Having said that, we enjoyed going to Armageddon Expos in both Tauranga and Palmerston North over the past the past few months. We've enjoyed those slightly smaller venues. They have quite a different feel to the Auckland Armageddon, but they've been starting to gather a little bit more momentum with actual in-person guests showing up and so forth. And obviously, great opportunities. The second time Palmerston North has been run, so fans are becoming a little bit more aware of it. We saw vendors selling out their entire stock while they were down there. So there's a lot of there's a lot of an audience for pop culture material, and there's great, great, great array of costumes down in both Tauranga and Palmerston North showing up in terms of Star Wars, Star Wars costumes and Star Wars costuming. We enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. All right, let's talk about product announcements and local store reports. From New Zealand Mint, they've been tuning out, they've had a month of tuning out an awful lot of Star Wars product, we'll just hit on the most recent ones, a series of four Mandalorian poster coins from New Zealand Mint in the one ounce silver range, runs of 2000 each featuring Mandalorian, Grogu, Boba Fett and Ahsoka priced at $208 each, this is a variation on the other coin styles, these are the rectangular coins, a little bit interesting to see something different and it's also very interesting that they've released an entire set of four Star Wars collectibles in one hit. Usually they release new characters in each of the series at a rate of about one per month, such as the Chibi coin line, which has been very steady at one per month for coming up on a couple of dozen coins now, a couple of dozen characters, the most recent of which is Cad Bane from the Book of Boba Fett. We have had a number of Black Series reveals and Vintage 
vintage collection reveals no dates as to when we'll get them in New Zealand yet but these are definitely things to keep an eye out for and some other interesting sort of Hasbro developments to talk about in association with these. From the Black Series we're expecting some Andor series. In, a, in America Walmart exclusive Andor referred to as the Aldani mission. This is an Imperial disguise and an Imperial officer. Black Series sticking with the old windowed boxes. I'll come back to why I'm saying that shortly. Also, Target exclusive Shore Trooper from Andor and Imperial Officer from the planet Ferex, also with windowed boxes. Revealed at San Diego Comic Con, Grogu with Hover Pram, Migs Mayfeld, X-Wove, HK87, Luke Skywalker from The Mandalorian, and a series of Halloween edition figures, a clone trooper and a Wookiee. And with some of these characters, they're moving on to the plasticless, no windowed boxes. Hasbro sent out an official statement confirming that they'll be keeping the bubble, the plastic bubble, for both the vintage collection and retro collection lines, but the Black Series will be progressively moving to a plastic-free box design. So this means you're getting a box with a picture of the figure on the outside and you cannot see the figure inside. In the official statement from Hasbro talking about the plastic-free packaging, they say that their goal for this move does not include packaging for fan collectible products like the 375 TVC figures where packaging is part of the product experience and typically retained intact for fan displays and collections. Those lines include vintage and collection and retro collection as well as other collectible brands such as Marvel Retro and G.I. Joe Retro. But it looks like the Black Series will be moving towards this windowless box design down the line, probably be seeing those uh, during this year. Vintage Collection reveals a 3.75 inch scale Boba Fett's Slave on Starship has been revealed. That's styled as seen, well, as seen in the book of Boba Fett. Comes with a Boba Fett Tython action figure. Also expecting to see another couple of other TVC figures down the line this year. Cal Kestis from Jedi Survivor. This, and a Klatoenian Raider and a Luke Skywalker from The Mandalorian. The move to do a windowless version of the Black Series figures is kind of odd. Like, I could kind of see it back in those old black boxes where the boxes themselves weren't that interesting. To me, the figures look more interesting out of those boxes. But the new modern ones with the sort of the cut-off side, with the, with the color-coordinated art down the sides, that has really sort of, I'm generally a person that opens the figures, but those boxes look really, yeah, really they, they nice, all lined up on a shelf with I, the art that all lines up, well, the colors, the way that you could kind of have them at a sliced angle so you could see the character and the art on the side. Looks really, really neat on a shelf. And to be honest, we've actually got a few that we haven't taken out of the packaging for that specific reason. To go to a completely covered box for black series i think is going to annoy well, a lot of people because it thought. feels like they designed it for yeah. you to line all the boxes up on your shelf that's the, that's the way things have been forever um and he, well here's the other thing we're already starting to see the downside for this because a couple of tvc even though the bubbled figures single figures are going to retain the bubbles tvc deluxe figures are coming out in blind boxes we've seen a the ahsoka with the um morai Convoy and the Navarro Stormtrooper with the Ewebe Cannon, for instance, coming out in blind boxes. And there was a deluxe Boba Fett as well. And overseas, we've been seeing people open these up to get basically dud figures inside, manufacturing defects that aren't evident until you yeah. get them open, open home and open the packaging. Yeah. And people have even speculated, and this is just speculation, of course, is that the 
you know, the fact that they are being thrown into blind boxes means that the QA, the quality assurance in the factories, might even be taking a little bit of a downturn because um, they know they're not going to show up on the shelves and not going to show yeah. up until they're in people's hands and it's, it's too late to do a lot about it. So. And the frustrating thing is that these figures, these four-inch figures in the boxes, are way more expensive here in New Zealand. They're yeah, 45. Are, yeah, the whole pricing's gone up. And it's I a, know it's, it's deluxe, a, but they're not the same amount of plastic as two figures. But they're priced like okay. there are two figures <laughs> inside. Well, yeah, exclusive pricing. We've talked about a lot, and that's really rearing its ugly head here in New Zealand. The warehouse is getting in some cool figures, and we commend them for that. But Tika, the Jawa, showing up at, what is she, 55? 55. And deluxe, deluxe. She's shorter than a figure. Deluxe Black Series figures at sixty-five bucks is just a little bit hard to swallow, especially in this economy. I know that businesses are suffering the same as regular folk, but these are non-essentials in life. Well, they're they're fun to have toys. I, I feel, but it's a real challenge because I love the fact that places like the warehouse and farmers are getting these exclusives. But the other thing that's making it really hard, and it's really having a negative effect down the line, is that these exclusive figures, like the deluxe ones and like Tika. And some of the, for instance, metallicized, carbonized figures, they're often shipped in solid cases. Yes. So they're quite abundant numbers across the country. And we're seeing that with some of those deluxe Mando sets that people have been finding on clearance. And it's really irritating if you paid full price, which is full getting up towards $70 for some of these deluxe six-inch figures where the Mando and Baby Yoda are sort of covered in mud. And then they're just like, you know, a third of the price sitting on clearance tables getting banged around because nobody cares because there was way too many of them on shelves. Yeah. They brought in too many, they charged too much. And then if you're one of the, you know, loyal people that actually forks out the full price, you end up getting burned and it's going to have a flow on effect. Whenever this happens, we end up getting whole waves that don't show up. Because the the people that import it just go, look, the stuff is sitting on clearance shelves. Nobody wants it. Let's just give this line a rest for a while. And they don't order in the next waves. And we're going to see it happen again with the Saw Guerrero figure. He is in huge numbers everywhere. Both farmers and the warehouse, we're seeing him all over the place. But we didn't get the other Rogue One figures from this line. In New Zealand, yeah. In New Zealand, so it's gonna—he's gonna end up on clearance tables. I can see it's it. It's a shame because uh, it's. But it's even worse knowing that they're probably saving money going to a cardboard box. There's less steps to put to make a cardboard box than there is to make a cardboard box with a plastic window in it. Mm. There's just less manufacturing steps to that, and probably less cost. I would assume cardboard costs less than plastic I, I don't know the dollars and cents to the packaging but i feel like especially with yeah, everything just kind of just being thrown into a cardboard box and shipped out we're now paying more for these figures which we can't see i always check the paint apps yeah. of figures before i buy them i always if there is eight on a shelf i will look at all eight before i choose the one that i want to go that i want to go home with and now you're just like, well, it's a blind box. I'm just going to take one and hope for the best. It's like, you know, it's it's yeah, a lottery so system. And a couple of things going on there. That the, the exclusive figures and the pricing on there. That's that's something's going to have to break there because we will see a cycle of stuff going on the clearance in a challengingly unpredictable way. But the blind boxing again is. I don't I don't know that it's going to be a win for Hasbro in the long run. And I don't I don't understand why Hasbro is uh, why. I don't understand why the warehouse is jumping into what is traditionally a collectible market by getting exclusives and then chucking them in the toy aisle 
along with all the other toys where kids are grabbing at them, the hangers are getting bent and the boxes are just getting dinged. If you're going to pay a premium collectible price, then you expect, like, like we see from sort of toy stockists overseas, you can pay full price if you want a mint collectible because you intend to keep it in its box and then they'll knock a few dollars off if you want a less than mint packaging because you're probably going to open it and you don't really care you'll save a few dollars if you get a scuffed or banged up box there's no such deal in New Zealand you know what is on the hanger is what you've got to choose and it's one price and then sometimes you can get it during a toy sale at 20% off but if the warehouse is going to get into the collectible market put these toys over by the video games where they used to put Things like some of the Funkos when they used to do that. And they've got some of the gaming kind of collectibles like the like the LED lights and stuff like that. They've got some of the stores have like a collectible section. These toys need to be there because they're not toys. No child no how many parents are buying a $45 action stormtrooper action figure and giving it to their kid to rip open and play with? There's not that many. They buy those $10 tube figures or the $10 ones from Kmart in the cardboard boxes. Those are going to kids, not $45. They're going into the hands of collectors, but you can't even check the paint. Sorry, that's a rant, but I just, it's frustrating. As a collector, there is such a bombardment of stuff out there that you have to really think long and hard about which yeah. pieces you're going to buy and what do you leave and it's becoming a it's becoming a gamble do you buy it now or that it might sell out you want something nice case fresh or do you just sit on your hands knowing that it's going to end up battered on the clearance table in three weeks so the take-home message is that we'll still see the plastic involved in the packaging for tvc and retro collection lines but we will be seeing this change for black series and it's an odd distinction, and I, I, I don't know how that's going to pan out in the long run, but I don't think it's going to be... I don't think it's going to be great. I don't think they're going to be quite as attractive seeing these blind boxes on the shelves. Let's discuss something a little bit more positive. We previously talked about the Jazzwares Micro Galaxy Squadron Spaceships line. Now, this was a cool line when we heard about it, and the main thing that defines this, this line of collectibles is that all of the spaceships and figures are in scale to each other. So your your speeders, your speeder bikes or so forth are tiny when you're compared to the, the giant Millennium Falcons and um, troop transports and things like that. And that's a really novel approach and I think it's a, a really attractive uh, for collectors who want to display these things together. We, we speculated, we hoped that they might show up in New Zealand and in fact it's transpired that they have. They've just shown up in the last week all around the country, particularly at the warehouse but also at branches of the toy world. Now, because everything's in a different, well, everything's in the same scale, so a different physical size, these collectibles are broken down into a number of different categories, a number of different classes, and uh, they're priced differently. So the whole range that's available currently in New Zealand is as follows. In the Assault class, the largest class, you've got a $99 battery-operated Millennium Falcon with uh, sounds and lights, and that looks like quite a nice Quite a nice vehicle, actually. We're going to have a review of that over on our personal blog site, Villa Barrachino, on uh, our YouTube channel there and website. So um, we'll put links through to that when we have that available, but very shortly. Next size down is the Starship class. So far, this involves in New Zealand the uh, Slave One, Boba Fett's Starship. It's supposed to also include the Razor Crest. I'm not sure if those are retailer exclusives in the US and we're going to get that later or, or or that might be the one vehicle that we're missing out on at this point so we'll have to hold hopes hold hopes that we'll see that locally that line that range that class is priced at $65 each each of these vehicles comes with a an array of little figures about one inch in size 
and there are some variants and exclusives for some of the vehicles which sometimes involves a difference in the vehicle but sometimes a difference in the number of pack-in figurines the Razor Crest which as I just just to reiterate that hasn't shown up in New Zealand does come with a exclusive variant the Avala 7 version with lots of missing panels I think that specific version is a retailer exclusive in the US Next size down is the transport class, the Imperial Troop Transport for $40, one vehicle in this class. The Starfighter class has a number of different vehicles, a classic X-Wing, the standard version has Luke Skywalker in his X-Wing pilot gear, the chase version has a Jedi version of Luke Skywalker in his black, black robes. The chase versions are quite limited, so if you see them, you're pretty lucky. The, some of them are five, limited to 5,000 in number, some of them to 15,000 in number, but that's globally. So if you see them locally, that's quite quite something to get hold of. Obi-Wan's Jedi Starfighter is also in the Starfighter class. Darth Vader's TIE Fighter and Moff Gideon's Outland TIE Fighter. That line there is priced at $35 each. Next size down is the Light Armor class, features the ATST, standard return of the Jedi version. The Chase variant is the Mandalorian version, the Raider version of the ATST. We have a TIE Fighter, we also have a Chase variant White TIE Fighter. It's colored in white to match the vintage die cast TIE Fighter look from Kenner back in the late 70s. And interestingly, we've also seen something from the Clone Wars here, a Sarge of Ventress's Jinvex Starfighter. That line is priced at $25 each. And finally, in the smallest size, we have the Scout class. These are blind boxed. There are five regular vehicles and three chasers. They include an ATRT with Clone Trooper, Bloodfin Speeder with Darth Maul, Speeder Bike with Ahsoka, Speeder Bike with Cobb Vanth, Speeder Bike with IG 11, Speeder Bike with Mando, Speeder Bike with Scout, and a Mandalorian version of the Speeder Bike with Scout. That Mando Scout, the IG-11 and the Cobb Vanth are all the chasers in this line. They are priced at $10 each. So I hope that makes some sort of sense in terms of describing the different classes. Um, very, very cool lineup and interesting to see that many different vehicles hitting New Zealand all at once. I, I quite like this line. From the merchandise perspective from Star Wars Celebration, this was one of my highlights and it was really going to come down to whether it was available in New Zealand or not. You know, we weren't too sure. Sometimes, you know, we just, there's whole lines that just never really make it to New Zealand. So I was so excited to see that these are available in New Zealand and it's such a widespread retailer like the warehouse. It does look like the Millennium Falcon is going to be a sought after one. This one is currently listed as sold out on the warehouse website. Yeah, it does appear to be shipped in sort of cases of two. Yep. Most places that we checked seem to have two of them. Obviously, with the larger box, we're going to get less of them. As we go down in size, we're seeing a lot more on the shelves up until you get to the blind boxes where there are a whole sort of store cases um, where you can sort of choose your blind boxes. With regards to the chases, the blind boxes, I'm hoping the chase variants are not as rare as the chase variants in the larger boxes because these are sole ones that aren't, they don't exist outside. The chases in the windowed boxes are simply paint out variations or in the or in the case of the X-Wing, it's just a slightly different figure. It's not like you can't get a TIE Fighter. It's just a white TIE Fighter as opposed to the more standard grey. With the blind boxes, the only way to get Cobb Vance on his sort of pod racer type uh, vehicle is by lucking out and getting a chase. So I, I'm hoping those aren't as sort of hard to find 
um, as the other ones. You know, they they don't seem to come with any kind of numbered rarity no, um, so note on so it. The, so the I'm X-Men, hoping they're not as rare. Yeah, that $35 Starfighter class, I think the chases are uh, limited to 5000 per vehicle. The Light Armor $25 class, I think they're 15000 mm. per vehicle. Yeah. Uh, if, that, if there's some sort of pattern there, it does imply that the blind box chases will be even higher in number yes. than that. But um, yeah. Uh, what that what that means for New Zealand and how many are actually making it into the country, I don't know. Yeah. This is a particular, like, most collectibles, there's always like, yes, I would love to own everything in this line, but, you know, not necessarily be able to afford everything. Or, you know, maybe some of you out there do collect all the Black Series and all the four-inch figures. This is a line that I think really does lend itself well to you either want one or two things or you want all of it. Well, and I'm in the case where I want all of it. Yeah, well, I, I want every of single one of these, it's going to be including really the chase. Because of, the, <laughs> of that very specific feature of them being scaled the same, sized yeah. differently but scaled the same, they're going to look really neat all together. I mean, the contrast between the small vehicles and the very large vehicles and them all making sense, the TIE Fighter being this, the appropriate size for a TIE Fighter attacking the Millennium yeah. Falcon. Yeah. I think it's going to be a really cool display, something we haven't ever seen before. And the people that love to make dioramas, this is going to be really fun. If you want to do sort of like, you know, asteroids and things swooping around, you know, I think it'll be really fun. To be sure, the little figures, they do have some pretty odd paint, but they <laughs> yeah. are small. The are but cute. Yeah, like the figures have got very simple paint apps, but let's to be honest, the figures are just a little bonus in there. So you can put something in the cockpit of like the X-Wings and stuff like that. They're not really visible in many of the other ships. The ships themselves, the ones that we have seen have very good paint apps particularly the millennium falcon that one is the standout one in this range for me i think it looks really cool it's a really good displayable size not too big that you're like oh this isn't going to fit on a bookshelf where am i going to put it but big enough that it doesn't look like a little hot wheels i know some of when you get down to like the tie fighters they are similar in size to the ones available in the more recently released hot wheels range also available in new zealand at but a few different yes. retailers, yeah. And you can see, and, and if you go to a toy world, you can generally find, you know, one of each and compare them in person. But when you get up to the Slave One, that's where you really start to see the differences. You know, it's not quite Hasbro level, um, but it's much bigger than the than the Hot Wheels version. And obviously the Millennium Falcon. If you don't really want to buy into the sort of the standard Hasbro four-inch figure line, those, those Millennium Falcons are generally quite large. You've got to have a, a proper shelf. This Falcon is a really good scale for the amount of detail the the paint application looks really great it's even got lights and sounds if you want to fly around the living room or spoil your kids and give them a cool light up toy i think that that one's a standout but i'm definitely wanting to add the rest in to my collection i dare say the blind box will be a bit hit and miss you know trying to get all of them without doubles is going to be next to impossible but i'm sure the likes of the star wars new zealand facebook group will be a good point to sort of sell off doubles or trade with friends to try and collect all of those because yeah. i want all of the blind box ones but i know that that's going to be a bit yeah. of a, a bit of a mission eight, there eight different, eight different vehicles and characters there I kind of wish they'd just done like a big box set. Here's all the speed bikes in one go, you know. Oh, two packs, two packs. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, I know blind boxes sell well. There is blind boxes from all sorts of manufacturers. Funko do little ones. They do. I mean, there's no denying they sell well. I just hate them personally. They're just yeah. not my thing. I prefer to just, you know, yeah, you might you might be prepared to pay a little bit more, but, you know, the one and done type, you know, I want to walk in, get the thing I want, and walk out. It's always a little bit... 
you can't just buy one blind box because you'll never get the one that you want in your first go. So you got to buy like three, five, ten, and then see what you get, you know, and sell off the ones you don't want. So I dare say there might be some of these hitting trade me in the, in the coming weeks. That might be the way to go if you're looking for a very specific one. Um, or you can just try your luck. <laughs> yeah, buy a whole lot. So excited to see these in New Zealand. And I think they're an affordable price point yeah. for most people. Apart from the really big ones here, 35 bucks and under. All right, rounding out our store reports and product availability reports from Funko, the Christmas slash holiday themed Star Wars pop vinyl figures were recently revealed. They have just come up for pre-order at New Zealand retailers this year instead of the sort of Slightly unsuccessful red and green paint app variants of standard characters we've seen. They're doing a series of snowman, snow droid versions of main characters. And these are these are quite cool in my, my opinion. I, I like them a lot better than previous years of their holiday themed character releases. So we've got Darth Vader, Stormtrooper, R2-D2, Boba Fett and C-3PO as snowmen or snow droids. And pop in the pop vinyl figure line, they're priced at about $25 locally. You can get them at $23 from Mighty Ape if you're a Primate member. Yeah, these are really fun. I like when the sort of the collect, these are obviously designed to be collectible, the people that are sort of in for the variants and things like that. So I like it when they didn't just sort of cheap out and just do a slightly different paint app. You know, these are full, unique sculpts. Yep. They've got cute little sticks and carrot details. You know, they're fully sculpted to look like snowmen, snow shapes in, you know, of these iconic characters. So, so if you, if you like fun Star Wars products, variant holiday things, um, this one's definitely uh, one to check out even if you just buy one there's also uh, sort of a box set that has all of them all together if you just want to get them all to display together uh, i think these are a fun variant i'm not usually into the special variants but i really like these ones but uh, on that note that's about it for today's installment i guess we're done doing talking if you have any thoughts on topics we discussed today we're definitely keen to hear them leave a comment on the youtube page or our website page for this podcast thank you for tuning in We appreciate you taking your time to listen to us share our passion for Star Wars. Stay tuned to our website, swnz.co.nz, for Star Wars news for New Zealanders and another podcast episode next week. Don't forget you can jump on over to either our Facebook group or the SWNZ message boards to discuss all the latest Star Wars news with other Kiwi fans. Kia ora, kia noho, homaru, thank you for listening and stay safe. Tūro Hawaiki, may the force be with you.